You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Now, as we look at our text here, uh, before we get into it, I have a question. Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't have your needs met, where you were in a desperate situation? Maybe you couldn't pay a bill. Uh, Maybe you had a situation where you lost a spouse and uh, the bills were piling up and circumstances were such that you're you're doing things you've never had to deal with before. Uh, You didn't know how to organize uh, circumstances with your household. Now you got to do all of that all on your own. Uh, It felt helpless. You didn't know how to move forward. So what do you do in those circumstances? Who or what do you turn to? We see in the world around us when people uh, get desperate, uh, they'll justify all sorts of ungodly things that they feel they have the need to do so. We saw as Nick taught on in 1 Kings, King Ahab, when he wanted rain to end the drought for his people, he sacrificed his own sons to do that to his false God. So there's all sorts of wicked things that people do uh, to get their needs met or, or perceived needs met. But who do you turn to? As a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, do you call on God? Do you trust him? Do you cast your cares on him? Or do you turn to other things? Do you fret? Do you get anxious? Do you get caught up in thoughts of what if? Uh, Are you uh, remembering experiences that maybe you've had in your past or seen other people have experiences that seem to be a nightmare for them? And when you get into that state, there's a lot of distress and anxiety and fretting. You don't have peace. You worry about what's gonna happen. But there's a solution to that. If you put away fretting and trust God, he will answer and he will provide a way. And so I think as we look at this passage out of 2 Kings 4, we're gonna see what God did for the widow and how the widow responded in her time of need. Who did she turn to? And I hope you're encouraged by this. I hope you come away from this with developing an unshakable confidence in who God is, his unchanging beneficial character toward us, his love toward us, and that he will provide for all your needs. He is faithful to do so. So let's take a look at the text, and I'll be reading from 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and we'll see this beautiful miracle uh, that God performs on behalf of this woman. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditors come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that these words are true. Let us not be mistaken. Let us not doubt you. For surely when we turn to the things of this world, our imaginations of what ifs, those are all false. There's no hope outside of you, Lord God. So we pray as we study your text this morning together that you would give me wisdom to speak what your word has to say. And might we all hear these words from your scriptures and be edified to be more mature in our knowledge of you, to trust you all the more 
than we did uh, when we first came in here. So we ask your blessing in our time together, and we ask all these things, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So who is this widow? Some speculate that she was uh, the wife of the late prophet Obadiah, but at the very least we know that she's an Israelite, and so she's a recipient or a beneficiary of the covenant that God made with Israel, and that will have uh, some impact. There's, there's blessings with that. Uh, but she's in a difficult circumstance. And so what does she face? Well, first of all, her husband died. Her lover, her partner, the person that she's uh, committed the rest of her life with, he's gone. And now she's left with nothing. Uh, she has her two sons. What's worse is that the creditor has come. They've acquired some debts over time. And the creditor has come and says, I'm going to take your two sons to work off your debt. And so now what does she have? She's got a jar of oil. Her sons are, are going to be taken from her. How is she going to fend for herself? How is she going to take care of her needs? So we see she's in a dire situation. Now bear in mind that in Leviticus 29, it talks about that Israelites are allowed to put themselves into slavery to pay off debt, or that they can put their children or have their children taken from them to pay off debt. Now there, there are provisions for that. It sounds terrible, but those slaves are not to be treated as slaves. They're be treated, to be treated as higher workers or laborers. They're be, to be treated with respect, like an employee. And so it's an opportunity to get debts paid that you might not otherwise be able to if you don't have the money. And so it actually worked well for people. Uh, but the goal in all these things uh, was redemption. The goal was to get debts paid. And if you look through Old Testament law, uh, every 50th year, they had the year of Jubilee. And so at that time, all debts would be forgiven. All those that had put themselves into slavery or there's hired labor to pay off debts would be set free and returned back to their families. If uh, people had sown the land that was originally theirs from the promised blessing and the, the promised land that God had given them, it would be returned to them. And so the whole goal uh, was redemption and that God was the one who owned all those things and provided for all of their needs. And so that was a picture that, that, that was supposed to be seen in paying off debts, that God frees people from their debts. And so we see in this situation though, that the widow might get her sons taken from her. But let's take a look at how God views widows. Let's take a look at what the scriptures say regarding widows. There's laws specifically for them that I think are important to look at. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, we see this. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And so we see God's heart here. He loves the defenseless and he promises to provide for them. In fact, he considers it a matter of justice to provide for the widow and the fatherless. And if we look at Deuteronomy 24, 17 and 18, the law even has special provisions beyond that. Uh, it says that if a widow is in debt, you don't take her cloak and pledge. You don't take anything from her. So all the more, this creditor should not be taking her sons from her as slaves. There is mercy built into the law for those who are, who are in need, those who are defenseless. In this case, the widow and her sons. And so I think this uh, creditor is out of line, uh, as we'll see. Uh, but let's take a look at the New Testament. God's heart hasn't changed about widows. It's still the same today. And so let's take a look at 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 8. God says, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. 
Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So we see in this text that we're supposed to be taking care of widows, right? If we have a parent who has lost her spouse or a grandparent, if we have parents that are in need or, or have health issues, uh, it's our responsibility to take care of our family members. That's God's calling. This is what pleases God. And that's loving the people around us the way God loves them. So we're, uh, God provides for the needs of the widow and he uses us to do so. In fact, it even goes on to say, if we don't take care of our relatives, we're worse than an unbeliever. So we need to be careful to look out for the needs of others. But despite these truths in scripture, despite what God commands regarding widows, uh, this debtor or this creditor is not showing mercy to her. And apparently nobody is holding her accountable either. As uh, we've been teaching through First and Second Kings, we've seen uh, the increasingly lawless state of God's people, the people of Israel. Uh, they've rejected his laws. They've gone after false gods. Uh, they aren't repenting and returning to the Lord. There's always been a remnant, mind you, but by and large, people aren't uh, submitting to God at this time in Israel's history. And like I said, apparently this creditor is an either and nobody's holding him to account. So in this desperate situation, the widow is about to lose her sons. She has a jar of oil to her name and she has no other recourse to pay off her debts or to even provide for her needs ongoing. What's she to do? Is she to turn to the people of the world? Is she to turn to ungodly things to make money? Is she, what's she supposed to do? Well, we see in this text here, she turns to God and his people. Many people would turn to false prophets in those days, people that would tell them what they wanna hear, uh, tell them everything's gonna be okay when it's not because they're not repenting and fearing the Lord. Uh, but the widow, she knows who to turn to. Her, her late husband was a prophet and she knows who Elisha is. And so she turns to Elisha. She knows he fears God. Her, her late husband did, and apparently she herself fears the Lord. And we can see that again. I'll reread uh, 2 Kings 4.1 to you. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the, pre the creditor has come to take my children to be his slaves. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? What does it mean to fear God? Our initial response might be things that we're afraid of, crime, being attacked, those kinds of things. But this isn't that kind of fear. It's not a terror fear. It's a benevolent fear, a loving fear. It means to be in awe of, to hold in high honor, in this case, the highest honor. God is worthy of all honor above all things. It also means in a sense to tremble at, the idea of sinning against God. Again, I don't think it's as much of a terror of being afraid that God might punish you or destroy you. It's more of out of love. If you love someone, you don't wanna grieve them. You don't wanna sin against them. And so there's the notion here in fearing the Lord that uh, there's a total devotion, a total submission and regarding God as, as the God of all gods and turning to no one else. And so that's the, the heart of somebody who fears God. Now God makes promises to those who fear him. In fact, let's take a look at Psalm 103 and see exactly the kind of heart that God has towards those who fear him. I'll start in verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. 
The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So God is compassionate towards those who fear him, towards those who worship him and honor him as the only true God. His steadfast love is on them. And I like verse 19 because that kind of seals it up. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. That means he is powerful or has the power to fulfill those promises or to keep those promises. His promises are not empty words, well-wishing. They're the sure thing. And if the God of all creation promises to take care of your needs, you can count on it that he's gonna do it. He is a good and faithful God. But again, we have further testimony. If we turn to Psalm 37, we can see what David said after many years as a believer, and he's seen God's uh, work in his life and the life of those around him. He's seen God's faithfulness. And let's see what it says here. It says, I have been young and am now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Now I wanna take a minute to look at who are the righteous, as David says there. I have not seen the righteous forsaken, who are they? Now for me, when I see that word righteous, my immediate gut response is, well, I'm not righteous. I know me and God knows me, but we're not talking about a self-righteousness here. Uh, we're talking about a righteousness that's bestowed upon us in Christ because he paid the penalty for our sins. And so we'll see who the righteous are. We'll take a look at Galatians chapter three, verses 10 through 14 to get a better definition of who the righteous are. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all these things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified by God before the law, or for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So that's what it means to be righteous. Those who are redeemed, those whose sins have been forgiven because of what Christ has done on the cross for us. He has paid the ultimate debt that we couldn't pay. He did it for us and he blesses us with the gift of salvation. So who are the righteous and who are those who fear God? It's us, people that know Jesus Christ as our savior. So my encouragement to you as we take communion later on is just to remember these things. Remember the great blessing that God has given us as believers. Our sins are forgiven and now we're free. We're set free from the debt of our sin. If you're not a believer this morning, my encouragement to you as we go through these passages that you will see that the ways of this world, the pleasures of the flesh, uh, it's, all, it's all a lie. It's all deceit. It doesn't give satisfaction. It's not what we're made for. We are made to know and worship God. So my hope and prayer for you is that the, the Holy Spirit convicts you this morning and opens your eyes to see Jesus Christ, that he indeed is the savior. So as we look at God's promises, what does that say about him? Well, it says he's good. And if you're an unbeliever this morning and you're not sure, look at the scriptures, look at what I'm, I'm reading to you this morning. He is a good God. He is faithful. He is merciful and kind. If you paid any attention to the false religions around the world, they are very harsh and strict. They have a, a specific code of commands and you better follow it. Because if you don't, you're gonna get punished. And if you don't do it good enough for long enough, you're not gonna go to paradise or their idea of heaven. And so their way is false. Their way has no hope. And you're left on your own to be good enough to meet the code. But as we saw in that passage in Galatians, we don't meet the code. It's all or nothing. 
You're, you're either perfectly holy or you're not. We fall in that latter category. And so we can have hope uh, that Jesus Christ has made the way of salvation for us. And he's good. He's merciful. He invites us to come to him. And so my encouragement to you is to do that if you don't know him this morning. But if you're still in doubt, as a believer this morning, if you still struggle with the goodness of God and his mercy, let's take a look at Matthew 6. Here's another passage that encourages us. In Matthew 6, verses 25 through 33, and it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not much more value than they? Of which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So you can see that God promises to provide for our needs. No matter what circumstances we're in, he is faithful to do it. And you can see throughout scripture that he is faithful to do it. And if you're a believer this morning, I'm sure you can uh, recollect the times that God has been faithful to you. Amen? We've all seen God do work in our lives. And it's no big thing for God to take care of our needs. In fact, he knows what our needs are perfectly. So if he calls us to seek his kingdom and his righteousness, he'll take care of the rest. So focus on walking with him, uh, walking in the fear of the Lord and walking in obedience to him. As I said, there's many examples of this in scripture, but I'm gonna turn to a specific one in chapter three of 2 Kings, just before the chapter we just read from uh, earlier. And just to kind of give you a layout, the Northern Kingdom of Israel and the Southern Kingdom of Judah are going up against the Kingdom of Moab. And as they go up against them, they march with their armies around the city. And after they're all done and tired, they haven't fought yet, uh, but they're out of water. And they don't have water for the soldiers or for the animals. So what are they gonna do? Well, you've got Jehoram, he's the king of the Northern Kingdom, Israel. And uh, as you recall, he's the son of Ahab. And the scriptures talk about him as uh, being evil, just like his father. And so he's not a man that fears the Lord. But the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, he is a man who fears the Lord. And so we see an interesting conversation as uh, they, they realize they have no water for their soldiers or their animals. Uh, they say, hey, let's call on a prophet of the Lord. And so they call on Elisha, because Elisha is greatly revered as a, a godly man and a prophet of the Lord. And let's see what he says to them. Turning back to 2 Kings chapter three here, and I'll read 13, uh, starting in verse 13. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, no, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would neither look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind or rain, but that stream bed shall be filled with water. So you shall drink, you, your livestock, and your animals. And so here we see God being faithful. Uh, 
even though Jehoram is a wicked king, uh, but because Jehoshaphat feared the Lord, Elisha was willing to call on the Lord for them and uh, to bring about a miracle. And it's beautiful to see how uh, the Lord says that I'm not gonna bring rain. You won't see storms of any kind so that I can show to you that I'm the one who's providing this water for you directly. And when you've got dry riverbeds and dry stream beds, as we see all around us now uh, with the drought we've been in, uh, it just shows you that God is the one who brought that water out of the ground to give water uh, to the soldiers and to the animals. So God again shows his faithfulness to those who fear him, to those who are the righteous ones. So now that we've looked at these uh, examples in scripture, and I'm sure we've seen examples in our own lives, what does God do for the widow? Let's take a look again, starting in verse two of chapter four and reread what, uh, what happened here. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they, pour, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on the rest. So what does God do for the widow? He takes care of her immediate need by providing that miracle of the oil. And in so selling it, uh, she paid off her debts. She redeemed her sons, or I should say, God redeemed her sons from the creditor by providing that oil that she could sell and pay off her debts. So now she's debt-free and her sons are staying with her. Uh, they've been redeemed to stay with her. More than that, God blesses her beyond her needs. He didn't just pay off her debts. He also left aside money so that they would have money for her and her sons. And as we see, uh, children are supposed to take care of their parents when their widows are in need, but God over, uh, goes beyond that even to take care of her son, or her widow, or the widow and her sons. And so God blesses abundantly. He provides for them greatly, not only for their immediate need, but also for their future needs. And it's a beautiful picture of salvation, isn't it? That God provides for, uh, pays the debt of our sin and provides for us eternal life. Our sin's completely forgiven. And so we see the goodness of God. And I want you to recollect, how has God taken care of your needs? How has he provided for you? Perhaps with uh, the pandemic, certainly there's people that have lost their lives. Uh, certainly there's people that have lost their jobs. Uh, whether we know them personally or not, uh, people have been touched greatly by this. It's hurt our economy. Uh, people have gotten sick and passed away. And so there's a lot of people that are suffering. But maybe you yourself have suffered directly from that or from other circumstances. And so who do you turn to? Who or what do you turn to? Do you turn to God? Do you trust in him? Or do you turn to sin? Uh, do you fret? Uh, and I know it's a struggle. We all struggle with this in this area because honestly, uh, it just makes sense to be a little bit anxious when you know you can't pay your mortgage or your rent, right? Or if you lose your job and you don't know when you're gonna get another job. It's legitimate to be concerned about that. But it's what we do with that. So it is a struggle. We will suffer anxiety and distress in the midst of our, our trials in life. But if we turn to God and trust him, we can count on it that he's gonna meet our needs and we can have peace and know that he's gonna do great things for us. But why do we struggle though? 
Well, God knows our frailty. He knows that we are weak. We are merely human after all, and we struggle with the flesh on a daily basis. And I think there's a couple of perspectives to look at here. Uh, there's our perspective, which I would say we tend to, by nature, walk by sight, not by faith. And then there's God pers God's perspective and how he see th sees things. In our perspective, we only see what is before us. We walk by sight, not by faith. Uh, we tend to live by what we see or feel. And a lot of times our thoughts get away from us, don't they? If we're faced with difficult circumstances, we can get consumed with what ifs. We can get consumed with nightmares or horror stories that we hear in other people's lives. And that's all we think about. Our eyes are on our circumstances and our imagination of what could happen. And it's as if we're only assuming that bad things will happen to us. But don't forget that God is good. And when we're caught in those circumstances, uh, we can look to him because from God's perspective, he's not like us. He's not frail. He's not tempted. He's not weak. He's God of all gods. He's the maker of all things. He's all knowing, he's all powerful. And in him, uh, or he stands alone as God. There's none beside him. He has the power to do whatever he wants. He's in control. And isn't it good that he is a loving God who is in control? Isn't it good that he is a merciful God that is in control? And he promises to provide for us. We can count on this. It's a sure thing. We might not know what it looks like. It might not exactly be the way we want it to happen, but God will always be faithful and provide for us. So if we struggle, there's a simple solution. Turn to God in faith. You don't know what he'll do, but wait on him. He will provide. And I think as, we're, as we wrap this up, looking at this text, uh, there's a couple important takeaways in a literal sense and in a spiritual sense. In the literal sense, as we see how God paid the widow's debts and blessed her even beyond that, uh, we can see the mercy of God and we can trust that he will do the same for us. So might this grow your faith? So that's one application. Trust that God will provide. Trust that he is good. And then in trusting that God is good, know that he calls us to give generously, to take care of the poor, to take care of widows, to take care of the fatherless and the sojourners. And so it's a calling for us to obey God's commands, uh, to be a blessing to, uh, to uh, excuse me, to others, uh, to be a blessing, to take care of our families. As we're warned, if we don't even take care of our own families, we're worse than unbelievers. So we should be ready to take care of our parents uh, when they're ill or when they're widows. Uh, so, and, that, and with that promise, you can know that if you're a parent, feel free to spend your IRA. Feel free to, to do whatever you want to with it because we have to take care of you. So don't worry about it. But in all seriousness, we are called to take care of our families. And we're also called to take care of the church. We have needs at times. We, we fall into difficult circumstances. So we as the body of Christ are to come alongside each other and take care of our, each other's needs. So we need to be willing. We need to have a heart like God and look for those opportunities to be a blessing to people. And then also we need to be a blessing in the communities around us, our neighbors. Uh, as you know, we, we support Weld County in their uh, kinship care, their foster care program. So kids that are in bad situations, unsafe situations, when they're taken from their original parents and placed with families, uh, foster parents or, or, or relatives, uh, those people are often without resources and often having to take care of those kids, it's a shock. They're not ready for it financially. And so we can come alongside them and help them out financially. We provide book packs, uh, book packs, uh, backpacks. Uh, we also provide gifts around Christmas time uh, just to re uh, release them of the burden and to be a blessing to those children. 
And so we're called to be givers, cheerful givers and be a blessing to other people. And then also there's a spiritual sense, uh, a spiritual application we have here. While we have debts in this world, uh, bills to pay, those kinds of things, our greatest debt is our debt to God because of our sin. And this picture, this miracle that God performed for this widow is a beautiful picture of how God pays our debts, how God pays that spiritual debt. We are worthy of death. We are born enemies of God. But because of his love for us, because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, our debts are paid and we are free. And what are we free to do? To walk in the fear of the Lord, to walk in obedience, to love the way that God loves us to love those around us, to be a blessing to those around us and to glorify God with our lives. As we live a life of worship, we do that by obedience, uh, by sharing in fellowship with one another. Uh, so God calls us to do all these things and that's what we're free to do. We couldn't do those things, in fact, before we were saved. We were slaves to sin, but now we're free because of Jesus Christ. And so if you're a believer this morning, I just encourage you to take these words to heart and remember what Christ has done for you. And as he's called us to uh, be cheerful givers, to be a blessing to others, might you seek ways to do so? Might you take care of your families that are in need? Might you take care of fellow believers that are in need and seek ways to, to bless your neighbors and those in the community? And if you're not a believer this morning, my encouragement to you, I'm hoping is if you heard, and this is just a few passages in scripture, I hope that you see that God is good and there is no other God like him. All the other gods are false and they have harsh standards, amen. You will not receive salvation. You won't even receive blessing. You have no hope in them. Even unbelievers, the good things that they have are from God. So might you turn and realize and trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. Might you turn from the ways of this world and from your own sinful self and turn and trust in Jesus Christ and walk with him. And I think it's a perfect segue into taking communion. Because as we do this, we celebrate what Christ has done for us. We celebrate uh, his sacrifice for us, his paying the debt that we couldn't pay. We were in a desperate situation, just like the widow. We had no way uh, to pay the debt. We had no way to provide for our needs. And so Jesus has done that for us. And so we celebrate that as we take communion. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.